Hello and welcome to a special episode of This is the Greatest Song I've Ever Heard in My Entire Life. I'm Scott Interante, and today we learned that Burt Bacharach has passed away at the age of 94. This podcast, of course, is where we celebrate the greatest songs of all time, and Burt Bacharach, uh, along with his collaborators like Hal David and many others, wrote dozens of songs that... Uh, easily deserve to be celebrated as the greatest of all time. So I wanted to take a little time and do an episode talking about some of my favorite songs, and I am joined to do that by Andrew Fox, who is a composer, songwriter, arranger, kind of jack-of-all-trades. Andrew, thanks so much for uh, jumping on and doing this. Thanks for having me, Scott. Maybe we could just start uh, with some general Bacharach thoughts. Where did he come into your life? What does he mean to you as a uh, songwriter? Burt Bacharach pretty much was considered uncool from like 1973 <laughs> right. up until like the mid 90s. He was like the guy who like used to write hits, but they all had major nine chords. Right. His guitar tones weren't loud enough and he missed the rock and roll revolution because right. he was, you know, it was, it was a very like judgmental approach. And then a series of songwriters much more openly embraced him. And I think that the the one-two punch was like Elvis Costello right. with Painted from Memory, where people, one, saw the two of them working together and then realized, oh, two generations of our best songwriters have been influenced by him, and they just weren't using, you know, the same keyboard sounds that he right. was, so we never noticed. Uh, and then Ben Folds came around and was writing these songs that suddenly had all of the Bacharach tropes in them. Yeah. And then it became cool to like Burt Bacharach again. So I think I discovered him through Ben Folds' interviews. And then uh, I became an Elvis Costello fanatic, as you remember from college. Right. And then through Painted from Memory, where it's like the coolness cred of Elvis Costello. The fact that he he did that collaboration with Burt Bacharach, so you got to like forget that you were listening to basically elevator music right. aesthetically and actually listen to what's going on. And you go, holy shit, this is the craziest fucking song I've ever heard. Yeah. Yeah, the songwriting on that album is is unreal. The, the songwriting, the production, the arranging. Yeah, I think my, I mean, my introduction was around the same time, but through... Austin Powers, like his sort of ironic appearance in the Austin Powers films, the the first two, uh, in the second w with Elvis Costello doing uh, "I'll Never Fall in Love Again," and so to me it was like that, that same kind of thing of just thinking of him as that kind of like emblematic '60s cheesy, easy listening composer, and then you know sort of discovered later how cool those songs are, just how well-written they are. Yeah. But I thought, you know, maybe we could each pick uh, three or so songs throughout his long career that we think, you know, deserve a spot on this greatest song I've ever heard in my entire life list. Uh, so why don't you you go first? I think a great place to start with Burt Bacharach, if you want to just dive into the strangeness, is Go Ask Shakespeare. Okay. From his 2005 record. Life's a which is a collaboration between him, Rufus Wainwright, and Dr. Dre. Right. <laughs> Basically what he did was he contacted Dr. Dre in like 2004. He goes, hey, do you have like a, like, just like a simple beat I can use? And Dr. Dre sends him this one beat. It's very, very simple. I think it's, I think it's like a two bar loop, yeah. maybe a four bar loop. 
And so Burt Bacharach, who's normally going between all these different keys and is doing, you know, a bar of four and a bar of seven and a bar of three, now he's locked into 4-4. Four, four. He's locked into like this one root pitch. So he can imply other chords, but he can't fully, right. but he can't, he can't fully do depart. his thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's this straight jacket around him and he's liberated by it. He puts over it like this this string quartet doing all of these crazy moves because now like he has to do all of these creative things melodically and in the phrasing. And in addition, because he's hampered by that, he writes this melody that's very like intense and pretty much one note. Right. I don't know. Go ask Shakespeare. It's it's absolutely haunting. It goes in all of these different directions, and it's. I th- I think it's a great example of an artist staying true to who they are while interacting with somebody else. Yeah. Like I think if Elvis Costello had done a record with Dr. Dre, he would have kind of turned into Dr. Dre a right, little. Like he did that album with the Roots. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Burt Bacharach is still exactly Burt Bacharach. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm actually going to pull an audible based on your choice and, and pick one that I didn't tell you about. Whoa. I want to talk about Don't Make Me Over, which is the first single that he and Hal David wrote for Dion Warwick. Don't make me over. Don't make me over. No. We associate Burback Rack with like what you were saying, all these like very clever chord changes and key changes and quirky rhythms and, and all this kind of stuff. But on this song, because it's so early in their catalog, in a lot of ways it feels like a straightforward doo-wop, you know, girl group song, except he has like some of his little flourishes in there. And then the arrangement, the string arrangement is this really like overdramatic really cool arrangement that just like heightens everything. And I think it's similar in the way that you're talking about like him having to be stuck on this Dr. Dre loop on Go Ask Shakespeare. This one is like sort of almost feels like he's stuck in the sort of doo-woppy 12-8 thing that he doesn't usually Mm -hmm. do and is finding his ways of like moving around in that. And it's also, I mean, it's a great song and Dionne Warwick is like the preeminent Bacharach David vocalist. So yeah. So if we're going old with Burt Bacharach, I I figured I was gonna I was gonna talk about knowing when to leave, but then I was right. like, I already have a one note melody Bacharach song right. in here. Although that one is really great, it's unbelievable. So here's the other thing: brief detour to talk about the show that knowing when to leave is from. That trend of like pop songwriters going into Broadway after the rock and roll era started, Burt Bacharach was the first one. And what a lot of people don't appreciate is that Promises, Promises, which came out the the same season as Hair, is a rock and roll musical. Right. It doesn't sound like one anymore because we've kind of got this idea of what rock and roll sounds like that's very guitar-driven. But if you listen to those drum parts... It's yeah. a rock and roll music. And and they had like amplified vocalists in the pit. It was like a very like innovative for yeah. its time. Yeah. But I think Walk On By is an absolute banger. Yeah. Walk on by. Walk on by. Foolish friend. 
It's an absolute banger, and I think it illustrates a lot of stuff that Burt Bacharach does so brilliantly. The first is that it misleads you tremendously as to what key you're in. Yeah. It opens in an A minor Dorian, right? Right. And then we get... Yeah. Suddenly we're in, we're in a minor flat seven, right? Are we in the Dorian of the key one step below? Where are we? Walk on by, walk on by. Foolish pride is all that I have left. Yeah. And now we're in F. Yeah. So we yeah. have this song that's in that's in F that every verse opens by going between A minor and D major. Yeah. It makes absolutely no sense. Um, and it's something that he does a lot where he finds keys that are very closely related in terms of how many sharps and flats they have, right. but that don't feel very, you know, they don't feel like natural places to modulate to and from because the modulation's a little too weak. Right. I hope we're not getting too inside baseball. No, no, here. no. That's that's. I love it. I love it. The the modulations are a little too weak. You know, it's it's up a fourth. It's down a fourth. Right. And as a result, you never fully notice that you're changing keys. You just feel a little less grounded than you would normally feel in a pop song. I think that one of the things Burt Bacharach conveys better than any other songwriter is uncertainty. Yeah where he has these songs going between two keys and they never feel like they've modulated. You just kind of keep wandering back and forth without knowing when you changed. Yeah, it's great. And like you were saying before, it's like the sort of caricature of him as this easy listening or elevator music thing is so funny because aesthetically that's what it is. But then it only can do that because of how sophisticated the the harmony is. <laughs> like he tricks you. Because really, it should feel like this weird, you know, jazzy prog stuff. But the way he puts it all together just seems so seamless. You know, it's just like, oh, yeah. How how else would that song? Yeah. I also do love that song uh, because he does one of his coolest production trademarks and one that I steal all the time, which is that, you know, that iconic piano line, right? The... Yeah. Which every time you play it doesn't sound right. It never quite sounds the way it's supposed to sound. And the reason why is because he double tracked live two pianos. Oh. So he has two pianists playing the exact same part and it almost lines up. Right. And it almost sounds like one piano, but something about it feels just like the harmony, very ungrounded and very... Like, like it's tearing you in two different directions. Yeah. So another one that I will pick is They Long to Be, in parentheses, close to you. I had a really long life. It was actually one of their earlier songs. 
Uh, Richard Chamberlain recorded it in 1962. Dionne Warwick recorded uh-huh. it. Dusty Springfield, a bunch of other people. But then, of course, made most famous by The Carpenters. And that arrangement is mm-hmm. so good. And they're like way too many layers of vocal harmonies. And it's beautiful. That's a song that just always always gets me. Yeah, it's it's quite a beautiful song. I think what's most important is it was written before the government replaced all the birds. So, like, it's a lot, it's very haunting now. Why do birds suddenly appear? Well, because they're drones, they're watching you. Um, But at the time, at the time, the birds were actually uh, quite real and were largely harmless. Tippy Hedren notwithstanding. Right, right. But, um, okay, what's uh, last on your list of three here? So, one of the most, like, important values to me is singability. Right. His songs are hard to sing. How much How much yeah. does this person understand what a human can do? And he had Dionne Warwick, and he came from writing instrumental music, so he had zero respect, zero respect <laughs> for, like, what a human voice can actually replicate. Right. And I think no, no song of his illustrates that better than The Sweetest Punch, which is off of Painted from Memory. Now the room is spinning, but there's either It is virtually unsingable, you know? (laughs) And then there's this one thing that I actually use as a vocal exercise for students because of what a pain in the ass it is. It's this phrase. Now the room is spinning, but was I the last to notice? So it's a leap of a ninth. You 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 have a major sixth and then a fourth above that. And you have to do it all fast because the full tempo is, you know. Right. Now the room is spinning, but was I the last to notice? Like that's as you can hear from me singing it. Right. It's really difficult to get that in tune. Yeah, it's it's one of those that uh, written on a piano, not written uh, with him singing. <laughs> if any other songwriter were writing like that, I would I would hate them. I would write them off. I'd be like, don't you understand how people work? And then with Burt Bacharach, I give him, you know, it's it, every songwriter, you have that thing you give them a free pass for because they figured out how to make it work. And with him, you go, the the expressive capability you've unlocked with this yeah. makes it worth it. And Costello's like, the timbre of his voice is so weird and strained and perfect for that. Yeah. He's so out of tune on that record yeah. and it does not, it does not matter. No, because it's almost like if it were sung too well, too accurately, because it's so insane as a melody, it would feel like robotic if you really sang it correctly. So I think we should close with a big one, which is uh, I Say a Little Prayer, originally recorded by Dionne Warwick, but Bagrack always kind of was unhappy with his arrangement and production on that song. Uh, and then it was recorded a year later in 1968 by Aretha Franklin. And it's just like, I don't know, one of the greatest recordings of all time. <laughs> It's incredible. The song, of course, is amazing with all like the weird measures of two and three thrown in there in the chorus that just keeps this unrelenting momentum in the chorus. Dionne Warwick is incredible in so many ways and her voice matches their style so well. But on this song, when you hear Aretha sing it, it's just like, oh, okay, I get it. It just takes it to a different level with this energy that like Dionne Warwick can't 
produce because that's not the kind of vocalist she is. Yeah. But it adds this kind of manic quality to it that is really incredible. I think that if you compare the Aretha version to what Burt Bacharach wrote, you could learn a tremendous amount about him as a writer and about her as an artist and about singability in general. So like the original melody, before I put on my makeup, yeah, right? On my makeup. Another like, what? That's not how human voices work. Jumping up a ninth, yeah. So Aretha Franklin does, you know, the moment I wake up, So she makes it a much more natural vocal line. On the one hand, what she does is absolutely iconic and beautiful. And on the other hand, as a writer, I always go to the first one because I'm like, what a fucking gesture. Right. Before I put on makeup. Yeah. (laughs) It's really something. Obviously, he's got such a long, I mean, 60-year career, you know, and, and was continuing writing until his death. I mean, he released a series of tracks and EPs and albums with Daniel Tashian called Blue Umbrella. Just like in 2021, the full version of that album came out. And it's just incredible stuff. So I just wondered if you had um, anything else you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to. Whenever I'm teaching Burt Bacharach songs to my students, I describe it as grown-up breakup songs. You know, everybody else writes breakup songs. They're like, you broke my heart. Everything hurts. What am I going to do? And Burt Bacharach writes these breakup songs that are like, oh, we have a lot of furniture. Who gets what furniture? Yeah. Oh, and man. when you're young, it doesn't it doesn't give you the same level of heartbreak because it doesn't feel as immediate. And the older you get, the more you go, oh, I'm hearing somebody's life fall apart. Yeah, it's beautiful. I think even more important than his songs is the influence that he has on other songwriters. Because if you go and listen to something like No Action by Elvis Costello or Accidents Will Happen, you can hear exactly what Burt Bacharach gave him permission to do. Yeah, Just these absolute curveballs, nothing occurs where it's supposed to occur. When you take that way of writing and combine it with something like a punk rock aesthetic, suddenly you have the most freewheeling shit you could ever have. You know, a lot of punk rock claims to be, like, shocking, and it's just, you know, this very predictable barrage. And he's actually taking you careening like you're on a luge. Yeah, he was was the best. Well, thanks so much, Andrew, for coming and talking about these songs. Of course, there's so many more incredible songs in his catalog so if you are out there listening and you want to share with us some of your favorite Burt Bacharach songs uh, please get in touch with us on social media we're at Great Song Pod that's GR number 8 Song Pod on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok all those things Um, and Andrew where can people find you if they want to see more of what you're doing um, I mean, there's always my uh, my online business card of a website, which is andrewfoxmusic.com. But if they want to hear like my actual songwriting, especially Burt Backrack influenced songwriting, they should check out Samantha Joy Perlman on Spotify. Our most Burt Backrack song is Bedfellow, but our most fun song is Real World or Madly. All right. Well, thank you so much. And uh, we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks, man. 